Good Reading Podcast is brought to you by Read, the monthly book subscription that pairs a new release book with a pampering gift delivered to your door. There are new books every month and nine genres to choose from. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Read subscription today? Visit luxury.com.au to find out how. Tuesday, 8th of September, 2015. The only sound in the room is Pia's typing. The blood drains from Ollie's face and she sinks into the nearest chair before her legs buckle. The name Nicole Horowitz creates an instant file path in her brain to a slew of old images and news headlines. Nicole and her former housemates are in the same category as Azaria Chamberlain and the Beaumont children. Their case is an unsolved mystery, firmly fixed in Australia's collective psyche, journalistic gum on the nation's shoe. Ollie has worked enough stories to know that some just have the X factor, the perfect mix of ingredients, a plot and characters that keep people wanting more. Try as the media overlords might, they just can't orchestrate that desired alchemy. Sometimes death simply falls flat. But the housemate homicide had been a newspaper editor's wet dream from the start. And despite Alexandra Raboni's swift conviction, there had always been something off about the whole thing. It lacks the neatness of a clear motive. It lacks closure. Hello, and a very warm welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. My name's Greg Dobbs. Sarah Bailey is the best-selling author of three works of crime fiction, including The Dark Lake, which won the Ned Kelly Award for Best First Fiction and the David Award for Best First Novel. The Dark Lake was followed by Into the Night in 2018 and then Where the Dead Go in 2019. All three featured Detective Sergeant Gemma Woodstock as their central character. Today, I'm chatting to Sarah Bailey about her new book, The Housemate. Sarah, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Now, The Housemate revolves around a cold case murder, nine years in the past. What's the attraction and the challenge of a cold case scenario? I guess just unresolved outcomes. I think um, everybody dislikes uh, when there's, you know, something that's not been explain properly or a mystery that no one's ever been able to sort of understand. So I think for journalists and um, people that work in the police force in particular, it's a real rub for them and something that if they ever get the chance to revisit and and sort of close, they will always um, be really, really keen to do that. So that's the situation that my main protagonist finds herself in. And what sort of challenges does that present for you? Uh, From a writing point of view, um, I guess there's a whole lot of um, elements to the crime story that have to sort of be um, explained and also you have to explain why it was unresolved at the time. So it's sort of a layered, perhaps more of a layered um, crime to to create. Um, I think I set the book in uh, relatively current times but the actual uh, crime that is being delved back into was, as you say, nine years earlier, so uh, 2005. Uh, so, you know, that sort of um, time frame, there was a lot less technology around. So some of the uh, grunt work, I guess, from a procedural point of view and an investigative point of view is a little bit more manual and a little bit more um, luck-based. So, yeah, Ollie finds herself um, revisiting the case but, of course, also revisiting her past as a part of that um, investigation. So The Housemate is your first novel since the three books in the Gemma Woodstock series, but The Housemate introduces this new character, Ollie Groves, an investigative journalist. How do you approach creating a new character when Gemma 
Woodstock has been so well established in your previous three works? Probably with a fair amount of trepidation, I think. I definitely took my time in landing on who Ollie was. I started writing the book in first person and I think because the Gemma Woodstock books are written in first person, I found that quite challenging and I couldn't quite um, wrestle my, my way out of Gemma's psyche. So once I switched to third person, um, which was probably after I'd written around 20% of the book, I found it much easier. I think that um, perspective helped me be a little bit more observational with Ollie and see her in a slightly different way. Um, but, yeah, she's very different from Gemma. There, there are obviously similarities. They're both really determined and both uh, relatively um, assertive in their own way but definitely have weaknesses too. So hopefully both complicated characters in a way that makes reading crime fiction fun. Uh, but, yeah, I really enjoyed in the end having a different um, person to be the vehicle for this story and, I, you know, I don't think Gemma was the right vehicle for this story and I'm really glad that um, Ollie was sort of the result of, of tackling something new. It was um, nice to write a new character. Was it difficult to avoid infusing a little bit of Gemma into Ollie? At times it was. I think the thing that was helpful was that their scenarios were completely Completely different. So their lifestyles and what they're sort of dealing with and their history um, made them different people. Um, they both have um, pretty sort of traumatic pasts in, in different ways. So I think, you know, they are pro probably what you would call people that are carrying around a lot of baggage. So there's similarities from that perspective, but the sort of um, issues that they were dealing with and what's in front of them day to day is, is quite different. Um, so hopefully that comes through, but I think they're probably complementary characters. Olive comes across as rather determined when it comes to her work. She's an investigative journalist, as we've said, and so much so that at one point I think she says, sometimes making yourself part of the story is the best way to get the facts. Now that sort of suggests that she might be a little bit unscrupulous. Do you want her to be liked as a character? Oh, this is such a tricky question because I love reading characters that I don't like. Um, so in some ways, when I don't like them, I like them, if that makes sense, from a reading experience. Um, some of my favourite characters are ones that I suppose you wouldn't necessarily pick to be friends with in real life. So it, I think it, it's a bit of a, a tricky question to answer, but whether Ollie's liked or is simply intriguing to read, I guess I don't mind as long as people enjoy the story and can understand why she makes certain decisions as a result of that sort of story and the situations that she finds herself in. And, of course, every good investigative reporter, journalist, needs a sidekick. And to that end, you introduce Cooper Ng. So Cooper is, well, I guess a rather naive foil to Olive's hard-nosed journalist. Tell me about this character, Cooper Ng. Yeah, so I love um, a sidekick. It's definitely a trope that I um, embrace wholeheartedly. I just think the dynamic that it allows you to play around with as a writer is really fun. And in this particular instance, Cooper represents the new breed of journalists coming up through the ranks. He's tech savvy. He's really um, quite fast in, in the way that he thinks. He's quite entrepreneurial whereas Ollie is far more traditional and, and sort of thinks that the profession um, needs to be respected, taken really sort of slowly and seriously. So they butt heads sort of right from the get-go. 
Um, and I, I really like this dynamic because I think that in the world that we're in right now, we are wrestling with those two kind of concepts and those two approaches to all things in the world of work, particularly. My full-time job in advertising um, is, is sort of a youthful industry, I suppose, by nature. But I see every day sort of the, the changing nature of how um, people think, how people approach problem solving, how people approach managing people, interacting with people. So it's fascinating, I think, just to see that all play out. And I had a lot of fun in this particular um, book and, and that kind of journalistic environment in just showing the different ways and the struggles that Ollie had with with someone like Cooper that is just a, a, like a puppy dog. He's got so much excited energy about journalism, um, which she does in her own way, uh, but that it just manifests completely differently. And, of course, this kind of friction or it's almost like a duality is one of the, I guess, sub-themes of the book. And there's this, uh, as you said, between old and new in the media and communications landscape, things like um, digital versus print, podcast versus newspaper, the phone versus Twitter as a communication tool, and, and I guess in the broader sense, youth versus maturity, experience versus enthusiasm. And now these technologies and perspectives come quite naturally for Cooper, but they're often quite frustrating for Ollie. How does that pan out in the book? She just doesn't like this sense of everything being different or things not being done properly. And in her mind, proper journalism is when you go out and you do the grunt work and you write the, the article and you get it edited and that's all fact-checked and that's the way that works. Um, he's much looser and much... Um, more willing to sort of take chances, I, I suppose, and um, speculate. And he's very uh, emotional as well, which I think she finds frustrating too. So it it's definitely something that she's aware is hovering over her um, in general. She's probably feeling pretty insecure about her, her future career because she knows that the landscape's changing around her. And I think, unfortunately for Cooper, he happens to turn up and be a physical representation of that. So she sort of finds him frustrating because all of her insecurities come to the fore every time he speaks. I kind of got a sense that um, this book is almost an expression of generational differences as well as that of the individual. Is that something you were thinking about as you wrote? I think so. I mean, I'm not personally too frustrated about the changing landscape. I think I'm relatively adaptable and as long as something makes sense to me I'm pretty willing to give it a try I think something I'm aware of in our world uh, the media and comms world at work is very much that sense of what has value these days I think that it was much easier when people used to go out and purchase a newspaper or watch a tv report and that sort of made sense from a commercial sort of framework perspective I think these days with content being sort of so free um, or perceived to be free, it has muddied the water a little bit in regards to what has value and what people are willing to pay for. Um, and I think that that is an interesting challenge for the media landscape to wrestle with over the coming years, you know, even podcasts, which are hugely popular now, and all kinds of online content, what people are willing to actually um, put their credit card on the line for is ever-changing and also the ownership that people feel towards platforms that they don't pay for fascinates me. So, you know, when Twitter does a an upgrade, people are outraged if they don't like the new format, but they don't pay for Twitter. 
So I find it really interesting that people have this really strong sense of ownership because they use these platforms constantly, but there's no financial exchange. So I just think all of those concepts are really interesting. And I think Ollie represents, um, you know, the old guard and then Cooper represents someone who's willing to sort of just dive straight in and, and figure it out as he goes. And if we can talk about your first three books again, The Dark Lake, Into the Night and Where the Dead Go, they're all, I guess we describe them as police procedural thrillers in a general sense. In The Housemount, though, you've kind of jumped the fence into investigative reporter territory. What was the driving force behind that move? Yeah, it's a, like a journo procedural apparently. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I think I just, I really wanted to be a journalist when I was growing up. So I suppose it's probably a bit of a deep-seated desire that I've finally sort of been able to fulfil in my own way. Um, I did spend a bit of time with a few journalists that were um, kind enough to let me tag along um, on their day at work, which was which was great. And I just, um, I felt that a journalist has that same dogged determination as most um, detectives do, where they're trying to get to the bottom of a case. And they see things perhaps from a slightly different angle because they're not just worried about solving the crime itself. They're interested in how the story and the narrative is going to be brought to life. And that is an interesting layer to put over the top of the truth. Um, there's no journalist in the world that I think can claim to be completely devoid of understanding that something is going to be read and understood in a certain way. Their personal brand also comes into it, so they need to make sure that they feel that what they're saying is reflecting the kind of person they want to be um, deemed to be. So it's quite complex. I think in a way there's more ego involved for a journalist than a detective, um, although, you know, there's obviously competitiveness in the police force as well. So, yeah, I just I really liked the idea of tackling a case a, a murder mystery but having the layers of the story having a life of its own and, and sort of how that plays out I think is just yeah really fascinating to me so hopefully interesting to other people too. Definitely the characters are very interesting in that the scenario too. I wondered though do you set out with a plan for your stories or do you just let the characters lead the way? Well I actually found the synopsis that I had pitched to my publisher Alan and Unwin last week uh, when I was cleaning out some files in my room. And um, that story has changed quite a lot. It's actually probably also the first time that I've done a synopsis. So I think I, I sort of felt that I needed to do that for that um, phase of the the approach that we were talking to the publisher about. But it's definitely changed quite a bit. There's elements that are familiar. So Ollie was still the, the main character and there was a story that centred around three housemates. But a lot of the... Um, nuts and bolts of the story have has changed. So it definitely, definitely changes as I go. Um, I think the more you write, the more your brain starts to connect the dots as you, as you go. Like I have always sort of said, for me, the best um, way to write is to, is to write because it's almost like something kicks in with your subconscious and the story starts to sort of plot itself out in front of you once you, once you get those words down. So I tend to have a, Rough plan, I think with all of my books, I've had a, a strong premise and a rough plan and definitely some characters that I know will be the best place to bring the story to life. But the actual um, procedures, I suppose, the sort of what happens and when and, and in what order, that changes up until the last minute. So you kind of solve as you go, would you say? Uh, absolutely. I have definitely, definitely had moments of... Um, 
looking at a wall of post-it notes and, and, you know, scribbles and I'm writing a scene where my character is looking at a wall of post-it notes and scribbles and I feel an incredible connection to the character trying to solve um, a case. So I think particularly with crime, but probably with all books, there's an element of nutting it out um, as you go. And, yeah, when, when you're writing an actual crime book, it's, it's quite an interesting parallel. Well, when you speak of post-it notes, it makes me think you're more like Ollie Groves than Cooper Ng. This is probably true, although I think Ollie's um, more stubborn about uh, change than I am. I'm pretty, I, I just sort of have to get on the um, bandwagon because there's, you know, so many changes in my industry sort of almost every day. Um, but, yes, I do like a pen and a paper and a notebook and I uh, I like a to-do list and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, a bit of, bit of a Luddite, I guess. And my final question to you is, um, uh, have you ever lived in a share house with three housemates of this type? Well, not of this type, um, and I won't give away why that's definitely something that I wouldn't be keen um, to have been involved in. Um, but, yes, I've lived in share houses and I have had a couple of my friends sort of say, is this based on anything in real life? And I'm like, no, it's absolutely fiction. Um, but, yeah, I think the dynamic of a share house, just like the dynamic of an office, is super interesting. You know, you, you live with people that sometimes you don't know that well or even if you do know them quite well, do you know them as well as you thought becomes the question. So, yeah, really interesting um, dynamic to explore in a crime book. And, uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully, um, these three characters people find interesting to read about. It's been great to talk to you, Sarah, and thanks for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Oh, thanks very much for your time. I've been talking to Sarah Bailey about her new book, The Housemate. It's published by Alan and Unwin and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading podcast was brought to you by Luxury Read. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Luxury Read subscription today? Visit luxuryread.com.au to find out how.